So good morning. How are we doing? All right, let's try that again. You seem a little sleepy today. Good morning. How are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> Kurt's been quite active this morning, so he, uh, he had a head start on all of you. Um, so the, the hope is that rubs off on the rest of us, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it always rubs off on me, I tell you what. A um, couple things that I just wanted to, to mention also in terms of what's happening here and just kind of let you know of all the things that are going on. The, the food pantry we had last week, and um, the thing is, we had so much food to give away, we didn't have enough people to give it away to. Um, so we had actually like 40, uh, it was 44 people come um, on Thursday to receive food. We think that there was a problem in advertising um, th- that particular event because I think we got some phone calls that came in asking about the time. And um, so people were a little bit confused about when that was happening. So we have still a lot of food to give away. So that's why we're doing it again this week, uh, advertising again, because we think that a lot of the people that were a part of it the first month didn't come the second month, maybe that there was a, an issue in, in the time. So that's why we're doing it again. Also, it's the fifth week of the month, and that tends to be the low point in, in how people get help. Um, so we think that there, there may, in fact, be even more need, being that this is a particular month with five weeks in it. So that's why we're doing it again. So if you'd like to help out with that, um, we'd love to have you be a part of that on Thursday. Uh, again, we're open from 4 to 7. I think we meet at 3.30. Uh, to pray and to get everything ready to to serve these folks. Um, But by and large, it has been a tremendous ministry. You should see the amount of food these people come out with. They need, like, massive trunk space to get out the door with it, and we have to, like, hold open both doors so that they can go home with this, the amount of stuff that they get. It's just overwhelming. Um, And and I remember somebody was telling me that one woman said, um, who actually got a ride home because she was... She didn't anticipate that we were going to give her the amount of stuff that we gave her. Um, so she actually got a ride home, and she didn't realize how much it was until she got back to her apartment and opened the trunk, and she goes, oh, my gosh, so much food, so much food. I can't believe how much is here. Um, so it's been a tremendous blessing for the people that have been a part of it. So thank you guys for supporting it. Thank you for getting involved, um, and we want to keep going with this. And as, we, as it grows, we're going to multiply the weeks that we do it, um, and really make this an ongoing ministry of something that we do and, and believe in and uh, follow wholeheartedly. Um, the other thing that I wanted to announce <clears throat> is that um, it was actually last week was the first time, but we had the transfer of equipment um, yesterday to Discovery Church. So we are under our own power entirely. Um, so everything that's contained within this building belongs to us, um, and we are operating on our own steam, so to speak, in every way. So that was a major goal that we had for the first 90 days, and uh, we were able to achieve it. And we also need to thank Discovery Church for allowing us to use that equipment for the first 90 days, because that was a real blessing to us in helping us get on our feet and get moving. And uh, so I made sure to thank a number of those guys yesterday. Um, I think that's all. Um, So, moving on to this week. Uh, We are... On the, the back end now, moving towards Easter in a series that we're doing called One Life. Um, so if you've been around at all, you know kind of the, where we're headed, what we're talking about. We're really unpacking uh, this enormous elephant in the room 
that Jesus kind of lays on the church called the kingdom. Um, and, and so as we were getting ready to do um, a major series to move through the first phase of our church life after kind of unpacking the vision, the next big portion, the most logical way to move was to talk about what Jesus talked about most, and that was the kingdom. And so what we've been saying throughout this entire thing is that Jesus, um, when he came to earth, invites us to invest our one life in this thing called the kingdom. And so we've been unpacking and unrolling and developing all that it means to be a part of the kingdom. And so I hope that this concept is really going from something that was sort of fuzzy and maybe unclear before to something that has real meat to it that we can kind of invest in and pursue. Um, So essentially what we've been saying is that following uh, a definition of a Christian to be part of this kingdom uh, is, it means this, following Jesus by devoting our one life to God's kingdom dream for the world. And so when we do that, we invest our lives in more than we are, and we become more than we could ever possibly be because God takes what we do, what we do, what we are, and multiplies it for his sake. So a simple way to put that is followers of Jesus follow Jesus. So if we're not following Jesus, if we're not looking at where he's headed and orchestrating our life to follow him, uh, then we have to take a serious look at ourselves and ask the question, are we really following him? Um, So last week, the way that we talked about this was to say that followers of Jesus follow him in every single way. It is a a whole life commitment, right? And we talked about the committed life. And essentially what that means is that We devote our one life to Him both in this life and in the life to come. So you can't just devote your afterlife to Jesus and say that you're a follower of Him because that's only one part of your life. So if we say that I'm a follower of Jesus but I have no intention of following Him today in the stuff that I do, uh, then we really have to ask ourselves that question. Are we really a Christian? Are we really following Him? Is it our desire to really be like Him Because if we're not like him in this life, chances are we won't look like him in the next life. Does that make sense? So, um, the best place to go from here after talking about what it looks like to be a committed life is to talk about something that takes up quite a bit of our time. You can't talk about being a committed follower of Jesus without talking about specific areas of our life. And there's one area of our life that dominates more time while we're awake than any other time. Can you guess what that is? Work. Oh, no. Not work. Not the job. Don't talk about that. This is boring, right? This is mundane. But let me start off by asking this question. How many people actually enjoy their jobs? Genuinely like their experience. Uh, how, how many like sort of like halfway sort part of your job? Yeah, that that counts. <laughs> yeah, right. How many people actually believe that that your job is significant? That it's making a difference in the world? That that it matters to somebody? A large portion of you. That's great. We have a good starting point. Um, it's funny, when we were planning out uh, the series and looking at all the different topics, we got to this one, and uh, John Idler ha- had this big smile on his face, and I said, what's, what's up? And he goes, I'm looking forward to this one. It turns out he thought it said vacation life and not vocation <laughs> life. Um, so we're talking about vocation, not vacation, and there's a difference. Um, so 
you know, for those of you who maybe didn't raise your hand either to having a job that's significant or even having a job that you like, um, at least you don't have this job. All right, take a look at this. Right at her, charge at her, charge at her, pick right. up the snake. We want to let her get as away from the water if possible. Yeah. A little more, because they're quick. She can turn around and be in that water, then we're pretty much out of luck. No, we're pretty much in luck if it goes away. If it doesn't, then I'm out of luck. All right, here we go. Three. Yeah. Two. Go, go. It hurts. It hurts. We got a chewer. We got a chewer. <laughs> I hate my job. <laughs> this is the part where you tell me it's not venomous, right? It's, it's not venomous. Don't worry. <laughs> she'll, she'll let go soon. Just kind of, maybe if you let go of her head. Just, just go ahead, let go. Let go of the other, let go of your other hand. There you go. There you go. That's a good one, Mike. That's a very good one. Now you can wear the badge of honor. I knew somewhere you'd have a tattoo. I'm going to need one of those. Let's see if there's some snakes under here. Rubber mats like this one are placed by researchers to attract snakes. Yep. There you go. Grab it. I don't want to. The dark colored mats absorb light and heat. Attracted by the warmth, the snakes crawl under them. So sharp. Why? Why? Stop, stop, stop. Rude. I understand the bite, but the chewing. The chewing. The chewing. You must be extra tasty. This is, I don't want to do this anymore. You mentioned something about a lab or another place. I... We're gonna go, we're gonna take all the snakes that we catch today, and we're gonna go back to the lab. Yeah, five. I mean, what are we looking for? One, two, three. I've gotten five in one grab before. I've gotten five in one grab before. It was very exciting. You got bit one time. No. Twice. One, two, right. three, four, five, <laughs> six. And this thing, I gotta count like this three. That was insane. Keep working it up. Work it. There you go. Now you're gonna. There. No! That's just weird. That's how we puke a snake. Now that we get it back in? Uh, no, no. We're going to now take that puke, and we're going to put it with the rest of the pukes that we've been collecting all year long. This just gets better and better. It does. Hey, sorry. Sorry. Panic. Ow, 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 ow. Sorry, 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 everyone. Ow! Crap! Now there's poo everywhere and I'm bleeding. Covered with crap. Oh, that smells great. This, this one's, this is not going well. This one right here. <laughs> yeah, right. So how many people enjoy their jobs? <laughs> If you, haven't, if you haven't gotten a chance to watch Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe, I highly recommend it. It's my favorite show on television. Um, 
I mean, you're talking about somebody who goes and is an apprentice for all these filthy, dirty, disgusting, scary jobs that who in their right mind would do, right? Um, (laughs) So his tagline is that, you know, he goes and visits the people that make civilized life possible for the rest of us. Um, I love that line. Um, But he essentially he goes and and spends a day in the life of people with their jobs. Um, And by and large, those people, um, maybe with this this exception, although this is one of my favorite episodes, um, people genuinely enjoy what they do, even though um, they may not be jobs that you or I would want to entertain. Um, Here's the reality, though. The average person over the course of their lifetime will spend, do you know how many hours? 91,520 hours spent on the job site over the course of, of their life. That's a lot of time. In fact, that, that is one-third of your life, uh, or just about. Uh, and so what we do with that time and how we understand and perceive our job is an incredibly important thing when we're talking about the kingdom. Because it's a lot of airspace, right? This is, I mean, we're talking about major time in our life. And so if we say uh, to ourselves that, that God is part of my world, that I've given my life over to, his, to Him for His use, for His kingdom dream in the world, but we exclude 91,000 hours from his activity, what does that say about how we live our lives in the kingdom? I mean, that's a major portion of our life, right? As, and so what we're going to talk about today is what God might want to do with those 91,000 hours. Um, I remember the, you know, early on when I was uh, in college, towards the end of my career in college, and kind of considering what it is I was going to do with my life, um, I had a few options. I had just become a Christian not, not too long before, and uh, I ended up going to this conference uh, that was offered by the campus ministry um, for a, a number of different colleges in the area. We all kind of converged on this, and it was specifically for seniors in college, and it was called Life Options. And so what they talked about in this conference, it was like two or three days, was um, what kind of options are out there for devoting your one life to and what might God want to do with your one life through your work environment, through your vocation, through your job? Uh, and so I remember, you know, going to this conference with a lot of other people and a lot of other ideas about what God wanted to do. By and large, the, the people that were going to this conference were people that were um, sort of understanding that, that God may want them to go into ministry. They were inspecting a certain call on their life. Uh, to, to be either a pastor or a missionary or some other area of life. Uh, and, and I remember going to this conference, and I wasn't in that category. I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't, <laughs> as funny as that is, I didn't want to be a long-term missionary. Um, I, I wanted to go to kind of get answers about what God might want to do. And here's my perception. I, I thought that, that God called certain people to ministry and then there was this other larger group of people that he didn't call to do anything. So there, there's a certain portion who are the ordained. They're the elite. They're the called few of us in society. And so I was going to this conference 
thinking that I was going to hear um, whether or not you were the one that was called to that life. Um, and, and so you could do some self-inspection of whether or not you were called or whether you were not called, right? Um, so I had this perception that there was a large group of people that God didn't call really to do anything. Um, there was only the call on this very specific few. And what I heard was something entirely different. I heard that God has a calling on every single person's life, and that calling may be into the business world. Um, It may be into the teaching world. It may be um, into the service world. Uh, It may be into a number of different areas, but God always calls, He always leads, He always gives direction and purpose to life. It's a process for us of understanding and following what that purpose is. So there isn't a called few and an uncalled few. Everyone's called. So the, the question is, what do you do with your calling? Uh, and so it actually wasn't until I heard this and was able to, in some sense, entertain the thought that God may call me into the business world that I was actually able to consider whether or not God was going to call me into ministry, if that makes sense. So in other words, once I saw that that God could call into any area of life, then every area of life became an option for me. Um, and so that's eventually how he led me into ministry and doing what I do today. Um, here's the thing, though. I think behind this search for what it is that God has a call in my life for, th- there's an underlying question that we, we all kind of ask ourselves. We may not do it verbally, but we do it in sort of a hidden fashion. And whenever we talk about this, people's heads tend to nod. Um, the, the real thing behind the question is, does my life have significance? And if it has significance, how does that significance work itself out in the place that I work at, in my job, in my vocation, in my calling? Um, and if we're going to be honest, what we're really asking of ourselves is, does my life, does my job really matter? Does it make a difference in the world? Does it affect people the way that I think that it should? Um, Because we often tend to think, like I did at one point, that there are certain jobs that matter, and then there are certain jobs that don't matter. Um, There are certain ones of significance in the world that make a difference in people's lives, and there are certain ones that don't. Um, and, And so we need to kind of combat this, because we think, well, there are pastors, and there are missionaries, and there are service workers, and there are... Uh, social aid workers, and all these people over here, humanitarian people, they're on the the side of the equation that matters. It's obvious. They're helping people. Uh, Over here, we have uh, jobs that don't really matter. Or or we're asking the question, how how is it that God can make a life in sales matter? How is it that God can make a life of driving a a truck matter? Um, How is it that God can make a life as a professional spammer matter. Um, Maybe not that one, I don't know. (laughs) But if we're not careful, what we tend to do uh, is over over enough time, if we don't see our lives mattering, if we don't see what we do during our 9 to 5 as being significant to the world, we begin to live for the time that we're not there. The way this works itself out in America is that we tend to live for the weekends. Am I wrong? So how does this normally work itself out? I put in my time, 
I do my 9 to 5, I put in my 40 hours or 40 plus a week, and then I get the weekend. I get the evenings. I get the vacation. I get the two weeks vacation. We, we tend to live our lives as if the margin of that life matters and not the main part. And so we put in our time to the main part, the time that you invest most of your hours in for the rest of your life, we see that as a necessary evil to live a vacation life around the margins. Am I wrong? Um, So the question we have to ask is, is that really the way that God would have us live? Um, A life on the margins, as simply a way to to make money uh, so that we can do the other things that we like doing. Um, Because so often we see our job as something that doesn't bring significance, either to ourselves or to the world. Um, So here's the question you have to be honest with. Do you really want to invest 91,000 hours in something that's a necessary evil? I know there's some necessity to that, right? Uh, You have to put food on the table. uh, You have to provide for your family. But do you want to see your lives as investing this major chunk of time in something that doesn't bring significance? Somebody's got to do it, exactly. Civilized life for the rest of us. Um, So, we have really two options. One, we can all quit our jobs and try to find something that does mean something, right? Um, The other side of, I guess the middle ground is to just continue living life in the middle and uh, kind of questioning whether or not it brings significance to us and to the world. The other side of this, and I think the side that God would want us to entertain, uh, is that if we change our perspective and start to consider what God might want to do with those 91,000 hours, then our lives become lives of significance. God brings significance to the ordinary and changes it in a way that it matters to us and to the world. Um, And so that's kind of what we're going to do this morning. So we're going to do that by looking at Mark 4. Uh, In Mark 4, there is a number of passages, these small little parables that Jesus uses to communicate what the kingdom is like. And so he uses things like a mustard seed and, and seeds scattered on the ground um, as being the word of God. All these different pictures that, that he gives, these snippets of what life is really like. And so he starts this particular one by telling a very ordinary story. A very ordinary story that, that doesn't have any significance from the onset. And yet he says, this is what the kingdom is like. And so we're going to pick up the story in um, verse 26 of Mark 4. um, And he says this. He also said, This is what the kingdom is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. We'll pause right there. If you were listening to this story back then, you would begin to yawn at this point. Okay, this is what the kingdom is like, Jesus says. And everybody's trained on what he's about to say next. Jesus, what are you going to say? How are you going to wow us? What's the kingdom of God like? What does it mean to live under this reign of the, of the king? How is this going to look? And he starts the story by saying, a man starts to throw some seeds on the ground. Wait, wait what? <laughs> That's the way you start this. St- Jesus, we've been scattering seeds. We're all farmers. But, you know, this is what we do day in and day out. This is our lives. 
And you're saying, this is what the kingdom is like? I've been doing this for 30 years. And nothing's ever happened. It's the same thing. Every year I go out and I scatter seeds. Stuff starts to grow. And you're telling me this is what the kingdom's like? If we were to make sort of a modern day parable, it would be something like this. Jesus, I get up every day to my 9 to 5 job and I go and drive a garbage truck. And you're saying this is what the kingdom is like? Get up every day, go to work, get in your car, go turn the key to your garbage truck and go out and and collect garbage? This is where the kingdom begins? Jesus says, yeah, this is where it begins. In the ordinary, in the everyday, in the mundane. That's where the kingdom of God begins. And then something extraordinary happens in the middle of it. Um, After he says, this is what the kingdom of God is like, a man scatters seed on the ground, it turns and says this, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. If you were to put this another way, in the middle of this garbage truck driver's daily life, there is the activity of God that's happening in a way that he doesn't understand. So he gets up, he goes to sleep, he goes about his nine to five, he does his everyday thing, and even in the middle of all that mundane living, that that everyday ordinary stuff that seems so ordinary, God is growing something in the middle of it. And Jesus says that's what the kingdom is like. It is the work of God in the everyday. It is the small seed of faith in the middle of an ocean of ordinary. That's where it begins. That's how it starts. And not only that, but he doesn't know how it grows. It just happens. So so the guy's going about his everyday business, and all the while God is growing something significant in his life and in the lives of the people that are around him. He's planning to use this man for more than he knows how. He has a plan for him beyond what the guy can see himself. So Jesus goes on and he says this in verse 28. All by itself, I love that phrase, all by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. So in the middle of this guy living his everyday normal life and just scattering seed on the ground, that seed works its way into the soil and it starts to produce something significant, something that will bring life to his family, right? This guy back then is living off of the soil, much like we live off of the jobs that we do. We do our work so that we can bring income to our families. Uh, In the same way, that's what this guy is doing. He's scattering seed, and God is using that seed to grow something in his life. Um, And eventually that seed will will take the form of bread that feeds his family. Um, And then it says this in the last part, as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. So this man, about his ordinary life, goes about it in in an ordinary way. In the middle of it, God is doing extraordinary things. And in the end of it, it brings a harvest that produces more food than what he and his family can consume. All he's doing is scattering seed, and God uses that seed to bring up a harvest, and the guy cuts it down in due time. What Jesus is saying is, imagine a world where ordinary story becomes an extraordinary experience of the kingdom. 
Because the reality is this. Ordinary work is where God is at work. Ordinary work is where God's at work. So we often want to have the great experience. We often want to go and and do tremendous things to save the world, right? Uh, For the sake of God. To to impact incredible amounts of people. To do great things. to, To live lives of massive significance. And Jesus starts out the story by saying, the kingdom comes within ordinary experiences. It comes in your ordinary jobs. So when you pour that cup of coffee for somebody at the cafe, the kingdom is there. When you teach those kids how to read, the kingdom is coming to those kids. When you fulfill that ordinary assignment that seems so mundane, that has no other meaning, and you think, why am I doing this? God can come into the middle of that situation and bring significance and power. Um, I often think about this when Mandy comes home and tells me stories about her day um, in, in the cardiology department at Einstein. Uh, she has um, a tremendous opportunity every single week to meet with people that are in need of both physical and spiritual healing. Um, and so often she comes home and tells me stories of interactions with her coworkers and with patients, and I think, yeah, the kingdom is coming to Einstein because God is using her there. And we often pray a prayer um, before our week begins that God would use us in a significant way to bring influence for his kingdom to people that we encounter throughout our week. That we would be effective stewards, witnesses for the sake of his kingdom wherever we would be. And so much of that time involves the time that we're at work. And so the question is, what does God want to do with that? Um, It's no significance that Jesus encountered many of his disciples while they were at work. I mean, think about this. What was Peter doing? What was John, Andrew, James? What were they doing when Jesus showed up? They were fishing. Yeah, they were at work. They were fishermen. They had their identities, and they cast out their nets day after day after day. Jesus shows up, and suddenly they have an extraordinary experience because he's in their midst. They end up dropping everything and following him. Um, But consider another story. Matthew, what was he doing? Anybody know? Tax collecting. He was an IRS agent (laughs) for a foreign government, um, sitting in a tax booth, having people line up so that they could pay their taxes to the Roman government. People hated him. People would spit at him and and throw their money at him because this guy was not well-liked. And Jesus shows up in his midst, right? And suddenly, Matthew has a life of extraordinary um, significance. He, He has a life of meaning where there was no meaning before. In fact, people wished he wouldn't carry out his job, right? Um, and yet Jesus shows up in the middle of his world. See, the message of Jesus is that the kingdom continues to grow even in the mundane activities of our everyday work lives. Um, Colossians uh, 3 actually talks about a very specific situation where this is true. Um, Colossians 3 is talking about different areas of life, and Paul gets to slavery. Now, slavery worked a little bit differently in the ancient world than it does today. It wasn't based necessarily 
on race itself. It was based on economic strength. And so if you found yourself in such a situation where you were not able to pay off your debts and the things that you owed to other people, you would actually sell your own service to another in order to work off your debt. And so people would sell themselves into uh, servitude so that they could work out this debt and get themselves back into society. Um, and so Paul has this specific word for slaves. I mean, you think, it, you know, your job may be bad, but slavery? I mean, you can't think of a job with less significance in the world. You didn't even keep the fruits of your own labor, right? You're not even providing for your family. All you're doing is your entire work life is going towards the fruit of someone else's family, someone else's business, someone else's career and life. Um, talk about a life of less significance, and yet Paul says this, two slaves, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that, that, since you, know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. So he's saying to them, don't, don't work at it as if you're a slave. Work at it as if you're working directly for God. Uh, because God sees that effort and will reward you as an inheritance. And then he says this, It is who? It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So forget the guy that, forget your boss, forget the guy uh, upstairs, forget the guy with the larger office than you that makes all the money and tells you what to do in your life. Forget all those people. Everything that you do is directly related to your relationship with God. So all that you do in your life, even the very mundane activities, those are directly serving God and are able to be used for the sake of His kingdom. And if you do those things with that mindset, great is your reward in heaven. You will be rewarded. There is an inheritance for having a different mindset. So even slaves can live lives of significance, is what Paul's saying. That's an extraordinary paradigm shift for us. Because remember, if we often think that there are, there are jobs that matter, there are jobs of significance, and there are jobs that aren't, or less so, Jesus and Paul are both disrupting this whole system that we've got going. Jesus and Paul are coming into the middle of that situation and saying, no, 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 everything can be lived in such a way that it reminds us that we're working towards God and towards his kingdom in the world. That's a tremendous paradigm shift. Because when we're, we're at work, we need to be able to see what we're doing as more than making money. It, as more than just fulfilling 91,000 hours of our lives. We need to see it as more than just an escape from our family and the problems at home. We need to see that as prime time that God can use for the sake of His kingdom. So when we understand that, God can work in our work, that's when jobs become vocations. Um, that's when the mundane blossoms into a calling. Um, I remember when I was kind of working through a lot of this and trying to figure out what it is that God wanted to do with my life and thinking about what a calling was, a, a quote like this would have been really helpful at the time. Um, so how do you know that what you're doing is a calling and not just a, a work? Uh, Frederick... Uh, Buckner says this, the place where God calls you 
is where your deep gladness meets the world's deep hunger. In other words, whatever makes you glad and fills a need in the world, that's the intersection of God's calling in your life. Um, And God can bring about gladness in the most awful of places. He can bring about gladness even in the midst of slavery. That's what Paul says, right? And bring about significance to a place where it provides needs for the world. Uh, it, It is easy to see mission work in China as being something that matters. But the reality is that's not where most of us live our lives, right? And most of us won't live lives where that is our job forever and onward into eternity. We just don't have jobs like that. Which means that we need to be able to believe this very core truth that God can bring about significance to the mundane. In a sense that God can show up in the middle of our seed scattering. And when He does that, He brings about a new story. Um, And the way that we make the mundane matter the way that the, the insignificant becomes significant is when we take what we do and we baptize it in a perception that God can use it for the sake of His kingdom. And so we pray before we get up and go to our jobs, God, I don't know what You have in store for me today, but I'm praying that You would use me in a significant way in the lives of the people that I work with. That You would give me influence with my boss that you would give me influence with the people who are under me so that I might bless them, so that I might be used in their lives in a way that I wasn't expecting. I'm just scattering seed, God. I pray that you make it grow. I pray that it would impact people and bear fruit more than what I could imagine. Uh, This may surprise you to hear this, but there are parts of my job that bore me too. There are. Uh, There are meetings. There are sifting through emails. There are mundane parts of my job that I just, I don't like attacking. I I, I don't like them being part of my day. But I realize that it's those mundane activities that allow me to have influence in the lives of the people so that I can live out what my calling is. And I would suspect that your life works very much the same way that there are parts of your life and your job that bring you a tremendous amount of significance and feel like life matters. And that may only be 5% of your job for some of us. And there are 95% of the job where you just think, gosh, I'm, I'm just putting in the hours. What if, though, you saw all that as scattering seeds so that God could use you in the 5%? that what God was doing through all of that is placing you in in such a position that you could impact the lives of the people that are around you. That you could do something significant anywhere that God had you. The question that we have to wrestle with is, what does God want to do with your 91,000 hours? That is a third of your life, and you spend another third of your life sleeping. So this... (laughs) This is half of your awake time. The question is, what does God want to do with it? What does He want to grow in your midst? It may be to love the people that you work with more than you like being right about a certain thing. Uh, right? That's the definition of love that we talked about before. Uh, 
It may be to use your God-given power to benefit those that you work with. To use your influence as a boss or as a coworker to advocate for other people so that they would benefit in the workplace. It may be that, that God is calling you to actively seek peace between some people that just hate each other and don't get along in your workplace. To be that person of peace that God places in the midst of that to bring about a sense of shalom to your, to your workplace. It may be that God is asking you to be a source of wisdom for your neighbors. To be that source, uh, to be that person who is hearing God and listening to those who listen to God so that others could benefit from your wisdom at work. So that others could live lives of significance. So that others could make their way to know Jesus, this King who's given us all things. Sometimes we often get overwhelmed with the thought of saving the world. And this creates this tension within us that somewhere out there, there are people who are living lives of significance and doing more than we are doing in our lives. And so sometimes we feel this pressure for a very long period of time that that our lives are never going to amount to what their lives might. And so we play this comparison game. But if we play that game long enough, what we end up with is a hopelessness. We end up giving up on that tension and not seeing our lives as having any significance whatsoever. Let me say this. That, to, to drop that tension, to, to make this perception switch in our lives so that God can begin to use you where you are and use other people where they are. So, Don't play this comparison game between our lives and the lives of other people. God plants every tree and grows fruit in a unique way for every person. And remember, so if we try to take someone else's fruit off their tree and make it grow on ours, it just falls to the ground dead. The reality that Jesus is talking about is that God grows everything in our own lives. He does it in a unique way for us in our particular world. And he wants to use you for it. So the question is, can we live out our lives? Can we, can we live our lives as being called? Can we live in such a way that it's a vocation and not just a job? Um, if you were to ask me what it is that I do, I could tell you that I'm a pastor. I could tell you that I work my other job for an architecture firm. Um, I could use the titles that I've been given over those jobs. But behind all of those things, I see my life as having one mission, and one mission only. I think that God has called me to train people to live lives of mission and significance. That's what I think my personal mission statement is. That he has called me in my particular world to be an equipper of of his church so that they can live out the mission of Jesus in the world. So... Do I have to do that from here? I can, right? And I have that opportunity to, but I don't only do it from here. So my job is that I'm a pastor. My job is that I'm a CAD designer at an architecture firm. But my vocation is that I'm a trainer and equipper for the sake of Jesus and his mission in the world. I see that's, that's my one life calling. And I've discovered that over a period of 10 years now. 
And I'm convinced that that is what God has me to do in this world. And so whether or not I continue to be a pastor, whether or not I continue to work in the architectural world, wherever God may call me, wherever I may go, I know that my calling remains the same. My mission in life remains the same. We can have lives of significance no matter where we are. We can live lives devoted to God and His mission for the world no matter where He puts us. Um, That is the kingdom coming in a significant way when we start to scatter seeds on the ground. So let's come back to our definition and add to it a little bit. And why don't we say this together? Are you ready? A Christian is someone who follows Jesus by devoting his or her one life to God's kingdom dream for the world. And hear this, by inviting Him into our work. We need to invite Jesus into our workplace because that is a significant portion of our lives. And if Jesus never has access to it, then He doesn't have access to us. So let's give Him access to every area of our life, including our jobs. Sound good? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that that you can bring extraordinary things to ordinary situations. Thank you that you proved that when there was an insignificant manger in an insignificant town outside of Jerusalem in an insignificant part of the world. And that is the place where you chose to begin your story of this guy called Jesus and how he changed everything. The shepherds weren't expecting it. The innkeeper wasn't expecting it. We weren't expecting it. It is the, the most ordinary place we could have imagined. And yet that's where you brought the king into this world. And so God, we believe by faith that you're able to do the same in us. That whenever the king shows up, there is great significance to be had. That wherever Jesus is, there's a life that matters. So God, as we consider our one life and the, the places where we spend so much time in that life, we ask that you'd come and show up. That you'd come and you'd be a part of our everyday world to do things that don't look like everyday things. God, I pray that the kingdom would come in our lives, that we would be people who pursue love and peace and justice and wisdom. Not just for our benefit, but for the sake of those that you surrounded us with. As we do that, we become more than ourselves. Our one life matters more than it could have otherwise. So God, we dedicate that one life to you and ask that you'd come and be a part of it. Be at the center of it. And use it for the sake of your kingdom. And we'll be sure to give you the credit for it. In Jesus' name, amen.